Whenever we face a potential loss, there's fear. Have you noticed that? Whenever we're going to lose something that matters to us, something that's valuable to us, whether it's being taken away or we're being forced to give up something that's important to us, there's fear. And there's fear because well, we just don't know what's going to happen. As long as we can keep things the way they are, stay in the same job, in the same relationship, as long as things stay just the way they are, then life's somewhat predictable. But if suddenly I have to lose him or lose her or lose it, I don't know what's going to happen, and so I'm afraid. It's even more complicated when the ball's in your court. By that I mean there's not something happening to you, not something being taken away from you. It's a decision that you have to make. Should I continue to allow myself to work or allow my teenager to go to work even though other people tell me they might catch the virus and I'd blame myself so much if anything happened? Should I continue to pour money into a business that's been so deeply impacted by the virus that I'm only making 10% of the revenue I took in a couple of months ago? I mean, I got the first PPP loan, but the end of that eight weeks is coming up, and I, I don't know what to do. Do I potentially sacrifice my family's financial future for the sake of a dream that we had that, well, it seems like it's not going to happen? Or maybe on a more personal note, during the shelter-in-place order, things in your marriage became clearer to you. You, you saw it before, but you can't ignore it now. And, and you want out of the marriage, but when you pray, you feel like God wants you to stay. But if you stay in the marriage, you just can't believe anything is going to change. I mean, at least if you get out, there's hope you, you might have something better. And you have to make a decision. You're a teenager, and you have this group of friends, and your parents are always on you about that group of friends. And you tell them, like all of us said to our parents at 14 to 18, but they're my friends. And I mean, you look out there now in a world of friends, and even more so now where you can't even get out anywhere, and you're like, there aren't any more friends, Mom. These are my only friends. And to lose them and to move into a world of unknown and to risk not having any friends, well, that's too scary to think about. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, there are times when you feel like there's something that God wants you to do. You don't know what's going to happen if you do it. I mean, God, if I do that, then I'm going to lose him, and no one like him is ever going to come along again. I'll never get an opportunity at a job like this again. This is a once-in-a-lifetime deal, and the fear of the unknown future keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. In fact, some of you are with us today, and you really aren't a church person, or you used to be, but you sort of got off track, but now you're coming back because church is easy, and you you can get your toe back in the water. And we're so glad you're here with us today. We're honored by that. But for those of you who used to do the God thing or the church thing, but now you don't, if you traced it back to where you sort of parted ways with God, it, it didn't happen Thursday night at 7 o'clock when someone showed you something that you didn't know and you just stopped believing. For the most part, it, it's a process. And a major part of the process is that you just were no longer able to say yes to what God wanted in your life. And one of the reasons was you are afraid of something or you thought you might lose something. You didn't know at that time that you are leaving God behind, but the truth is you knew what you were supposed to do and you were just afraid to do it and you couldn't see what would happen if you let the opportunity or this person or those friends go. So what do you do in situations like that? Especially for all of us now because the future is so unknown. It feels like trusting God's gotten harder. What do you do when everything in you wants you to go with your fear and do what it's telling you? Because going that way just seems way more predictable. 
Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today as we end this series, The New Normal, and I try to bring all of it together. Uh, to do that, I want to look at an account from the Bible, that, and it's historical, so let me start with a bit of historical background. It's 605 B.C., and we're in Babylon, or Iraq, as we would call it. Uh, Babylon's invaded Israel, and a part of their tactics for taking over a nation was not only did they take the wealth of a nation, but they took the people of that nation back to their country. Well, really, they only took the best and the brightest of a country back to their country, and there they trained them to be in King Nebuchadnezzar's service. And his thinking was, why shouldn't I have the, in my capital city the best thinkers, the best artists, the best craftsmen? I mean, we ought to have the best of everything in the strongest capital in the world. I mean, I'm the strongest. So four of the bright young men they brought back were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, there were people from all kinds of different cultures in Babylon at the time, and that meant all kinds of different religions. And Nebuchadnezzar thought it just isn't that good a thing to have everybody have an allegiance to something higher than me. I mean, ultimately, his thought was, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but the bottom line is you have to know your ultimate allegiance is to the king. You have to know your life is in my hands. So here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he'd set up. Now, we don't know what this image is. Some think it's an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Some think it's the image of a god that he's named after, Nebu. But all these people are out in the field. They're looking up at this 90 feet tall image and then... A herald shouted, people of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. <laughs> Babylon had a form of freedom of worship. You can worship as we tell you to, or you can die. Totally your choice. You can believe what you want to believe. You want to believe in your other gods? I can't stop you from believing that. But I want you to know that you recognize your life and your death is in my hands. So they began this practice. And whenever people heard the music, you better believe people hit the dirt. But then the plot thickens. See, there's some astrologers who went to the king and they informed on the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring that all people bow down and worship the gold statue where when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you've set up. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're already well known because there's something else that happens earlier in this book in the Bible that they've been given authority by the king. He trusts these guys. And these other guys that have come to him, they're just jealous of him. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, 
Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods and worship the gold statue I've set up? And, and he gives them a second chance. It, it's, apparently, he likes them. I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Now, when you and I face these forks in the road, morally, ethically, relationally, whatever it might be, those times when we know in our heart what God wants us to do, yet the road seems way clearer over here when our fear is telling us much safer over here, much more secure over here. As you're trying to work through that dilemma, you talk to other people about it, you ask people to pray with you, there's this little voice in your head that says, in some way or some fashion, the next words that come out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. Because we view our circumstances as so overpowering, they're so controlling. We believe that we're at the mercy of our boss or our company or the government or we're at the mercy of circumstances or we're at the mercy of the health issues that we face. We're at the mercy of a virus. There's a little voice we hear that says what Nebuchadnezzar says here. Look at what he says to our three fellas. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue from my power? If you don't give in to my fear, if you don't give in to my threats, if you don't go with what I'm telling you you should be afraid of, if you don't go with what's safe and secure, what's going to happen to you? Now, come on. Isn't, isn't that what goes on inside your head? If you don't do what everybody else is doing, I mean, why would everybody else be doing it if it wasn't the best thing to do? If I miss this opportunity, there may not be another opportunity. And on and on and on it goes. And what's happening, what's going on in our mind is, what then? What then? If I do this, what then? What then? Because Nebuchadnezzar believed that they were at his mercy, that they were in his control, and that their lives were in his control, and they'd be fools to do anything other than what he asked them to do. You see, where I get tripped up, where you get tripped up, is on what then? What God will be able to rescue? If you don't give in to your fear, what then? And that's why I love this story, because the next thing that comes out of these guys' mouths is just unbelievably insightful and and I'll add I, I don't know what you think about the Bible you might say you know you do a pretty good job of making it interesting at least and applicable but I, I wouldn't say it's true well let me just say this what comes out of the mouths of these guys is not the kind of things that get written in fairy tales or myths it's not what they're made of it has a ring of truth about it and they offer you and me the answer to the question what am I supposed to do when I don't know what's next? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say when I don't have the answer to what then? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. And King, we get that you think we didn't understand the command. We, we understood. And we appreciate the second chance, but we don't need a second chance. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, and here it comes, you asked us, king, what God will save you then? The God we serve is able to save us. That's it. You throw us into the furnace, God we serve is able to save us from it. And the fact that he's able to save us from it, it's all we need. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, we think, we hope. I mean, you get they didn't know. But even if he doesn't, 
we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statues that you set up. This is so important. I, I don't want you to miss it. We don't know what's going to happen to us. So we decided we will cast our fate with the one who is able to control the future, not one who thinks he's able to control the future. King, we know you're powerful. You're surrounded by people who make you think you are the Almighty, and we know that other people bow at every word you say. But you are just a king, so we will not abandon the one who is able, even though we don't know what he's going to do. We will not abandon him who is able to go with you. So, king, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're placing our bet on the God who is able. And it doesn't matter to us what happens we know that there is more security with the one who is able to save us than the one who looks like he's able to control the moment. You know what you and I are supposed to do in these dilemmas? Are we going to go with the one who's able or the one who makes it seem like he's able? Now, I know your objections. It's the same ones I have. I, I say, God, you're big and strong, and I'm weak, and I get that. I, but look, I need a guarantee. I, I just want to know how it's going to work out. If you could show me not only what step I need to take, but what's going to happen. Like, if you could show me how it's going to work out, I'm your guy. I'm there. You say, if I close my business, I just need to know I'm going to get a job that's going to be as good or better. So could you give me a sign? Like, could you have someone call me and offer me a job, and I could have a little overlap before I close the business? That would just be great. I just need a sign, Lord. And then I'm so there. I just, I just need to know what's going to happen then. Lord, I know I'm supposed to love everyone always, but this person is just too hard. If you can just show me that I'm making a difference or it just make it not so hard. God, I just need to know. I need to know what's going to happen. Like, I, I know I blew it. And I know it was my fault. And I know I should say I'm sorry, but I need to know they're going to accept my apology and then our relationship's going to work out. I mean, if not, why would I put myself through that? Just show me it'll work and I'm with you. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that it shows how little faith I have as a pastor and maybe you don't want to know that, but it's true whether you know it or not. I have a saying in my head that comes from a mentor of mine that I've used in situations like this now. And where it came from was years ago, we were just started this church and the church had begun to grow and the struggle was we we needed to build we had, had one building we still owed on it but we need to build and we needed to expand there were so many people coming we needed to build and expand and i spent months praying and wringing my hands over what to do because there's going to be millions of dollars and a lot of hard work and so we started we started down that road and after i'd already raised a lot of money to go down that road it became pretty clear to me that God wanted me to say, hey, we need to turn around. We need to stop. We need to go back. But I didn't know what would happen if I had to stand up and say all that. I didn't know how the elders would receive it. I certainly didn't know how the congregation was going to receive it. And the only thing that I could see in my mind when that what then came up was, well, what then is I'll be fired and the church will be in trouble. But I was pretty sure it was the right thing to do. So I was talking to an older mentor of mine, and I'm laying out all this stuff and how confusing it is to me and how I don't know for sure what to do. And he just interrupts me at one point. And he said, Ed, I've listened, and you talk about all of this like God's hands are tied. And I said, 
I don't really know what you mean. He said, you think God wants you to do something that once you do it, God's hands are tied with whatever happens after you do it and that he won't be involved somehow. He said, your decision doesn't tie God's hands, Ed. His hands aren't tied, Ed. Just do whatever he asks you to do and then see what he does after that. I was like, oh, yeah, God's hands aren't tied. You know what ties God's hands? Nebuchadnezzar couldn't tie God's hands. Your boss doesn't tie God's hands. Some company filing bankruptcy doesn't tie God's hands. The coronavirus doesn't tie God's hands. The government doesn't tie God's hands. Someone who's upset with you doesn't tie God's hands. All the people that we think we're at their mercy, they don't tie God's hands. You know what ties God's hands? Our unwillingness to put our faith in the one who is able and you know what the answer to our objection is? It's just to think through the options. By that I mean, if you aren't going to trust God, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go with what I know. Well, I'm just going to, I mean, let's talk about that for a second. Let's say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what's going to happen if you go with your fear, if you submit to the king? What's going to happen if you go with that? Well, we're going to live. Well, I mean, I know that short term. But what's going to happen long term? I don't know. Well, what about two years from now? I don't know. So you're saying you don't really know what's going to happen. Well, not long term. Well, what's going to happen if you go with the God who's able and you just resist your fear and you stand up? We're going to burn in the furnace. Are you sure? Well, I don't know for sure, but that's what the man said. But do you know? I don't know for sure. So what you're telling me is you don't really know what's going to happen either way. No then why would you submit yourself to the one who thinks he's able when you could trust and submit yourself to the one who is really able when you don't really know what's going to happen anyway? Isn't that true for you? Isn't it true that we don't know either way? We think we do, and our fear causes us to think that we are. We all become prophets, and boy, if I go with my fear and I say, God, later, 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 call me again. I, God, if you just make it easier, not so hard next time, I'm with you. We all feel like we know for sure, but we're also short-sighted to cast our whole lives on something that causes us fear and in some cases could cause our, our relationships and our future, and we put ourselves at the mercy of circumstances or a person that we don't know where it's really going. Why would we do that, especially when there is a God who is able? He is able. Now, let me get this to you in a, a nutshell. We don't trust God. I mean, this is basic Christianity, and it's going to be the heart of the very next series. We don't trust God because we know what he will do. We trust God because of what he has done and what he's able to do. We don't put faith in God because we know the roadmap for our lives. It's not what faith is. We trust God because of what he's done through Christ by dying for our sins, and his resurrection proves that God... God is for us. We trust God because of what he has done and because of what he's able to do. And the reason it's wise and even logical to cast our lives with God is because he's the only one that's able to rearrange circumstances. God's the only one that's able to take a horrible marriage and put it back together and make it better. He's the only one to bring good about from bad. He's the only one that's able. So our faith, our hope, 
Our life is to be given to him. We trust him. So let me give you the rest of the story, if you don't know it, because we aren't even to my favorite part of this story yet. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted and rage, with rage, and he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of his strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly... Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie three men and throw them into the fire? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed, nor their clothing was scorched. They didn't even smell a smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent an angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. Now, let me ask you, if I'd said to you an hour earlier, what are the odds that the king who thinks he's God's going to say, praise be to the God of three Jews whose country I just whipped in battle, which means their God is no good. What are the odds of him saying, praise be to their God? Zero. Until three men stood up and said, our God's able. We do not know what he's going to do, but we know he is able. We don't know what he has planned, but he is able. So we're going to go with him. Now, we're really close to my favorite part. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied me, the king's command, and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Go, therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into a heap of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And that's my favorite part, because I think, I think, I think Nebuchadnezzar has some impulse control. <laughs> He's got some issues. Anyone who's in and about of me, I'm going to burn them. Now, everybody who says a word against their God, we're going to cut them into pieces and tear their houses down. <laughs> But don't miss this last part. He also said, there is no other God who can rescue like this. There's no other God able. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. They didn't know. They didn't know what God was going to do. And you don't know what God's going to do. It isn't always going to have a happy ending. They decided it didn't matter what the ending is. I'm going to go with the God who is able. I, I, I know our world is in the middle of a whole lot of unknowns. And wherever there's uncertainty, there's fear. And it seems to me that even before the virus came, many of us were living our one and only life. We were totally couching it in fear, just going with whatever was comfortable. 
What if during this time where there's so much unknown, we embraced what has always been true? We made it our new normal. Here it is. Even though we don't know what's in the future, we don't know what God is going to do, we believe that he is able to do what needs to be done. So we will not live as though God's hands are tied. We believe that he can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will trust him. So I want to have John and Joel sing a song that's written right out of this account. And while you listen, if you realize you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, would you go to community-christian.net, click on the Make a Decision card, and let us know about it so that we can help you in next steps. And what I'm going to ask is that all of us listen to this song and ask yourself, what is it that keeps you stuck? It keeps me from not living the life God wants to its fullest. Probably that's your area of fear where you need to be able to believe that God is able. Let's listen and then I'll come back and lead in the last part.